Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming this morning. And uh, my name is Justin Peters. For those of you who are not here last night, my name is Justin Peters. And I was here a number of years ago, about eight years ago, and um, really enjoyed it then. And so it's an honor to be, to be back. So uh, I'm going to plow right in here. This morning, I'm going to be talking about Bethel and Hillsong music and why churches should not be singing Bethel music and Hillsong music, um, and throw into that pot Elevation music as well, Stephen Furtick out in uh, Elevation Church in North Carolina. But Bethel Church obviously produces Bethel music, uh, and Bethel in uh, Redding, California, and Hillsong is out of Sydney, Australia, pastored by Brian Houston. And these churches produce an enormous amount of music that is being sung by the vast, vast majority of evangelical churches. And I have even been in some doctrinally sound churches, churches that uh, I would agree with on every single point of doctrine. And I've been in some of these services, and uh, during the music part of the service, up pops a song by Bethel or Hillsong. And quite frankly, it's horrifying to me when I see that. All right, and so what I'm going to do is in this hour or so, I'm going to lay some doctrinal groundwork of why churches should not be singing Bethel and Hillsong music. And then right at the end, I will answer some of the common objections that people will raise. So when you're dealing with Bethel and Hillsong, you need to understand that Bethel and Hillsong come from a word faith, new apostolic reformation theological background. Uh, For those of you who were not here last night, word faith is basically the doctrine that teaches that it's always God's will for a Christian to be wealthy. It's always God's will for a Christian to be physically healed. We should never be sick. Or if you do get sick, physical healing is guaranteed as long as you have enough faith, as long as you make the right positive confessions, as long as you sow enough seed, in other words, give enough money to a particular minister, then you will reap a harvest. And if you are not healed, or if you are having financial problems, it's your fault. It's your lack of faith. It's your lack of giving. And so this is the Word Faith Movement, New Apostolic Reformation Movement. This is a twin movement to Word of Faith. It's everything that Word Faith is, even worse. They have even more emphasis on modern-day miracles, signs and wonders, modern-day apostles, and... What we're seeing today is that word faith and new apostolic reformation are just basically melding together into one big heretical theological stream. With word faith, you would have Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Joseph Prince, Andrew Womack, some of those names. With NAR, you would have Bill Johnson, Stacey Campbell, Che Ahn, Heidi Baker, Cindy Jacobs, uh, Rick Joyner, Todd White, Todd Bentley, some of those names. And they're, as I said, they're just melding into to one heretical theological stream. Bethel is more New Apostolic Reformation, whereas Hillsong is Word of Faith. And what you're seeing today is a, a lot of cross-pollination between Word Faith and New Apostolic Reformation. For example, Bill Johnson, New Apostolic Reformation, Bethel Music, is speaking at Hillsong conferences, which is Word Faith. So... You know, they're, they're basically one and the same. All right, so I want to give you a little bit of background to these movements and, and why they're so heretical. 
just a little bit of uh, historical background. One of the early leaders in the Pentecostal movement, he's widely regarded as one of the first Pentecostals, John Alexander Dowie. Uh, he, was, he formed the International Divine Healing Association in San Francisco. He was born in Scotland, but he moved here to the United States. And he prayed for the physical healing, but only of paid members to his association. You had to be a paying member, so pay to pray type thing. Uh, he was sued by two women for fraud, and, and he was a, a charlatan in every sense of the term. He formed the Zion Tabernacle in Chicago, and then shortly after that founded the city of Zion, uh, northwest of Chicago, Illinois, and, or Illinois, I should say. And um, the city of Zion is actually still there. I mean, you can, you can look it up on the map right now. It's still, still in existence. But the city of Zion banned all practices of medicine. They spoke against uh, doctors and physicians and told their adherents, you have to rely on faith to receive healing if you're sick. Don't go to doctors. Don't go to medicine. And an anti-medicinal undercurrent is still palpable in the modern word faith NAR movement. He had healing rooms. Now, if that sounds familiar, you might have heard of Bethel. Healing rooms. Redding, California, they have healing rooms. Well, John Alexander Dowie is the one who first uh, started this. And he lived in opulent luxury, and he claimed to be the reincarnation of Elijah. So, yes, he was as crazy as he looks. Um, but there were a number of people who died under his spiritual care, if you will, uh, including his own daughter, because he refused to allow his daughter to go get medical treatment. He was a wolf. He was an absolute charlatan. So widely regarded as one of the early Pentecostals. Uh, John G. Lake is heralded by Charismatics today as one of their generals, as is John Alexander Dowie. But John G. Lake is, is uh, viewed in very high esteem. He was a disciple of John Dowie, that fellow we just talked about. He founded the church at Portland in Oregon, of course. And Charismatics today claim that over 100,000 people were healed by John G. Lake. None, however, were documented. Not one. Not one example of any true organic healing. Now, in this movement, you see two different kinds of, of healing. Generally speaking, there's two different kinds of healing. You have psychosomatic healings and organic healings. Psychosomatic, as the name implies, is mind over body. And there are any number of physical conditions you can get temporary relief from uh, just by believing that you feel better. It's the placebo effect. It's, it's mind over body. It's not real. It's, uh, it's very temporary. You know, some, certain pains in your body, maybe arthritis and aches and pains and that kind of thing, if you believe that you feel better and you believe that you're going to receive healing, for a little while you do feel better. But after the euphoria subsides, a new day dawns and the symptoms always reappear. So psychosomatic healings happen all the time in the charismatic movement, all the time. What never happens in the charismatic movement is organic healing. Healing from a disease that, or, a, or an injury that cannot be explained just by psychosomatic reasons. Uh, for, for example, someone who is born blind, 
you know, no matter how good of a mood they might get in, they're not going to see. In my condition, cerebral palsy, no matter how good of a mood I'm in, no matter how optimistic I may be, you take my crutches away from me and down goes Frazier. So their organic healings never happen in the word faith movement, charismatic movement, ever. Uh, newspapers roundly debunked his claims. It's fascinating. You can go to newspapers.com and look up articles about these men, and, um, and they're, they're brutal. They, just, they roundly debunk all of their claims. His own wife died of a fever six months after he arrived in South Africa, and then after she died, he got engaged to another woman who also died of malaria. And, uh, oh, by the way, you see there that it was only... He, he had to get his dead wife's permission to marry this other lady through a, a seance. So uh, not good theological underpinnings here. He also faced criminal charges for fraud in Portland. And after his second wife died, then he had an affair with a 17-year-old girl who followed him from South Africa to the United States. These people are charlatans. They are frauds. They are immoral. They are hucksters. They are wolves in the worst sense of the term. That's the, that's the entire history of the charismatic movement. It's not a good one at, at all. It's not a good one. Okay, I want us to look at some of the doctrines which this movement teaches. We'll look at the doctrine of positive confession, that we can literally speak things into existence just like God did. Watch this from Kenneth Copeland. So when we came into this earth, all this is set aside. Well, Bill, it... it we don't need it in heaven. We need it here. It was designed to be here. So how are we going to get it here? We have His Word to put into our heart, into our mind, come out our mouth with the same creative force as His that does what? Brings from that spiritual realm into material Reality. I don't know how to say it. So you heard that Kenneth Copeland said that we have, when we speak, our words have the same creative force as that of God. The same creative force as that of God. This is standard teaching in the word faith movement. This is the theological underpinning of Hillsong. Levi Lusco, who has spoken at Hillsong before, uh, watch this from Levi Lusco, pastor of Fresh Life Church in Kalispell, Montana. I want you to know that when God made you, made you in His image. The image of a creator who created by speaking. He said, let there be light, and there was. He said, let there be an earth, let there be dolphins, and there were because He spoke them. He's a creative God who spoke these things into existence, and then He made you in His image. So you were created by a creator to create. And one of the chief ways you create is by participating with God in creation through speaking. The Bible echoes from the Old to the New Testament that life and death are caught up in the power of the tongue. So every single time you speak, there's an act of creation. So we speak things into existence just like God did. And lest you think I overstate their case, oh, Justin, you're just kind of taking them out of context. You know, that's, 
he doesn't really believe that, does he? Oh, yeah, yeah, they, they do. Creflo Dollar says this, As spiritual beings who possess the nature of God, we have the ability to speak things into existence just like God did. They could not possibly be any more clear as to what they believe. They believe that we have the same creative power to create. That they believe that when God created, He spoke and His words were containers of a tangible substance called faith, hence word of faith. And according to classic word faith theology, everything that exists, you see, is made out of faith. If you were to break down matter to its basic components, you wouldn't find atoms and molecules. You'd find faith. The chair that you're sitting on right now is made out of faith. The clothes on your back, the car in the parking lot, the tree in the ground, it's all made out of faith. And when we speak, our words are containers of this tangible substance called faith, hence word of faith, and we can speak our own reality into existence. If you need money, you speak it into existence. If you need healing, you speak it into existence. And dear friends, the Bible is very clear. There is only one who can create ex nihilo, out of nothing, and that is God. The, the Hebrew word for create is bara. And friend, only, only God baras. That is something that only God can do. They demote God, and then in turn, they deify man. They deify man. In fact, they make man into little gods. Let's look at this, the little gods doctrine. All the word faith teachers, New Apostolic Reformation alike, they teach that we are gods. Watch this from Creflo Dollar. Now, in verse 26 and verse 27, God now submits himself to this principle of everything producing after its own kind. And in verse 26 and 27, let's read it out loud. Ready? Read. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now that's interesting because if everything produces after its own kind, we now see God producing man. And if God now produces man, and everything produces after his own kind, if horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? But if the Godhead gets together and say, let us make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. Now, I got to hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods, little g. You are gods because you came from God and you are gods. You're not just human. The only human part about you is this physical body that you live in. The real me is just like God. 
the real me is just like God. Blasphemy. Total blasphemy. Dear friends, when the Bible says that God created man in his image, that means that as human beings, you and I are the pinnacle of God's creation. And we have the potential and the capacity through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ to know God. None of the other created order has that privilege and ability. Look, I like dogs. I do. I grew up with dogs, mainly black labs, and, and I, I love dogs. A few years ago, my wife got me a dog. It's not a lab. Um, she didn't want a dog at all. I wanted a big dog, and so she compromised, and she got me a little frou-frou dog. <laughs> hey, look, any man can have a big old lab or a German shepherd. It takes a real man to be, sec <laughs> to be secure in his manhood with a little dog like mine. With a little bow in her hair, and she's just adorable. And, no. <laughs> but, but the greatest, smartest dog in the world will never know God because dogs are not created in God's image. But we are. But dear friends, that does not mean that we are gods. The Bible is very clear. There is only one God. And He is a jealous God who will not share His glory with another. And yet, in the word faith movement, He shares His glory with all of us all the time. Watch this from Kenneth Copeland from just a few weeks ago. Let this mind be in you. Let this be the way you think. Let this mind be in you, which was also in the anointed Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And you do not think it robbery. You don't, it, it's not taking anything away from God. Right. To be equal with our Father. To be equal with our Lord Jesus. He's the one that caused it to happen. And our good God said, oh yeah, they're my children. Of course they're equal to me. I gave birth to them. Is that not unbelievable? They don't even hide it. In fact, at this point, they've, in, regarding the little gods doctrine, they've pretty much dropped the little part. They're just, we're gods. We're gods. We are equal. You heard him right out of his own mouth. We are equal to God. Now watch this from Stephen Furtick. And, and guys in the back, I think these videos are a little bit louder than my other ones, so y'all might want to temper the volume. I don't want to... So y'all brace yourselves. I don't know how long this is going to be, or how loud rather. But watch this from Stephen Furtick. And Elevation Music, Elevation Church comes from this guy right here. Watch. Don't let anybody put anything on you that will cause you to forget what God put in you. The fight that you have to win for your life has not been with them. It's always been in you. Because if you believe it's in you, there's nothing anybody can put on you that can cancel what I put in you. Before you were born, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
something in you. And there's nobody that can leave my life that can keep God from keeping his covenant with me. I'm not in covenant with a person. I'm not in covenant with a political party. I'm in covenant with God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Really. And when that came out, this was, you know, this was just a few months ago. When that came out, uh, people said, oh, well, that was just, uh, you know, Stephen Furtick just kind of misspoke. It was a, you know, slip of the tongue. He didn't really mean that. Well, I believe he did mean it, and I'll show you why I believe he meant it, because he's taught the exact same thing just two years ago. Watch this. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. You are not my maker. You will not be my mirror. When God said, I am to Moses, you know, my name is I am. He was trying to get him to see you are as I am. Same thing. Same thing. This is the little God's doctrine of word faith. This is the theological underpinning of Bethel music, of Hillsong music, and Elevation music. It comes right out of his own church. So when you sing Bethel, Hillsong, and Elevation, please know that when you're singing that, you're singing music that comes from a cult. It comes from a cult. But this little God's doctrine is why they hold so tenaciously to health and wealth. Because we're God's. And a God cannot be poor, and a God certainly cannot be sick. This movement appeals to two of the most basic and universal of all human desires. The desire to be wealthy, and the desire to be healed. Almost everybody on the planet would like to be wealthy. Of course, if everybody was wealthy, then no one would be wealthy. But uh, Almost everybody on the planet wants that, and almost everybody on the planet wants to be physically healed. And this message, this, this word faith NAR theology says that if you'll just come to Jesus, if you'll become a Christian, God will make you rich and he'll heal your body. Well, sign me up, man. I mean, I, I like that, Jesus. You got two of them, I'll take them both. But is that the real gospel? Or is the real gospel something a little bit more like this? Come to Jesus because you're a sinner. And because of your sin, the righteous wrath of God abides on you. And the only way to have that wrath removed is to repent of sin, turn from sin, and place your trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then you will have heaven. But on this earth, we're not promised money. We're not promised healing. What are we promised? Trials and persecution. What does the Bible say? Some of those who live godly in Christ Jesus may be persecuted. Is that what it says? All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And dear friends, there are no exception clauses to that unless you live in the United States of America. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Now, we don't live in Iran. We don't live in North Korea, at least not yet. But if you're living godly in Christ Jesus, then you should be experiencing at some time, you know, 
from time to time, at least some soft persecution somewhere. And if you've never even experienced any soft persecution, then you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. But that message, you see, suffer for Christ. For to you it has not only been granted to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake, Philippians 1.29. That theology doesn't fit with word faith in NAR. Biblical theology does not fit with word faith in AR. They also soften sin. They rarely talk about sin, but when they do, they soften it. I'll give you one example, a couple of examples of this. One from uh, Todd White. Let's see. Here, let me, sorry, let me. God thought that you were worth it. The blood of Jesus is the price that he paid. And the price that God paid always determines the value of you. If the value of something is determined by the price that was paid and the blood of Jesus was shed for you and God thought that highly of each individual that God shed his own son's blood and the value system of heaven is the price that was paid, how much more valuable are you than you think? So Todd White teaches that that our value is, is represented by the cross and, and we are so valuable and, and we're just so, we're just all that in a bag of chips. God just could not imagine having eternity without us. God has a man-shaped hole in his heart and he just had to have us. And, and a reflection of, of how valuable we are is the links to which God went to to get us back. That completely turns the gospel on its head. Completely turns the gospel on its head. Paul writes, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become what? Worthless. Friends, Jesus did not save us because we are great. He saved us because He is great. You see, in the word faith NAR movement, sin is never portrayed in such a way as this, that it is high treason against a thrice holy God that incurs his righteous wrath and we deserve nothing but his wrath. Sin is never portrayed in those terms. If sin is mentioned at all, it is in terms that, like this, that sin just hurts you. It, it holds you back. And it prevents us from having our best life now. It's never portrayed as high treason against a thrice holy God. Ever. Watch this. This is a. This was just from a few weeks ago as well. This was a, even for me. It, it left my jaw hanging open. Watch this from Jesse Duplantis, Kenneth Copeland. They were having a victory thon in which they raised, uh, I think, eight or nine millions million dollars to um, for Kenneth Copeland's ministry. But watch this. You know, I, I was preaching this the other day that opposites attract, but so the outcasts attract. Zacchaeus was an outcast. But so was Jesus on the other spectrum, an outcast. Now think about that. When he saw that man, Zach, I can just call him Zach. He saw something in Zacchaeus that no one else did. You know what he saw? Most people believe in original sin. Some people believe in original sin. He believed in original goodness. I said the Lord to me. He said, I believe in original goodness. I can see the good in that man. Amen. What? And notice, did you catch it? Jesse said, the Lord told him, I believe in original goodness. Jesus 
told Jesse Duplantis, I believe in original goodness. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That you could not get more polar opposite of a biblical anthropology, a biblical doctrine of man. Unbelievable. We are all sinners, and our sins have earned us the righteous wrath of God. We are sinners by birth. We are sinners by choice. We're sinners by practice. We are sinners. We are born into sin. I mean, the Bible could not possibly be more clear about that. Flat-out denial of original sin. That's a denial of the gospel. It's a different Jesus. If they preach a different Jesus, they preach a different gospel. Again, this is the theological underpinning of Bethel and Hillsong and Elevation Music. Let's look at what they, how they view the sovereignty of God. Watch this from Benny Hinn and Miles Monroe. Let's see. Let's, here we go. Pastor, we get the mind of God about His will. We pray it. When we pray it, we give Him legal right to perform it. Yes. Let me define prayer for you in this show. Prayer is man giving God permission or license to interfere in earth's affairs. In other words, prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. That's incredible. That is incredible. God could do nothing on earth, nothing has God ever done on earth without a human giving him access. So he's always looking for that somebody. Always looking for a human to give him power, permission. In other words, God has the power, but you get the permission. God got the authority and the power, but you got the license. So even though God could do anything, he can only do what you permit him to do. God can only do what we permit him to do. Dear friends, I would submit to you this morning that God can do whatever he jolly well wants to do. <laughs> and is not terribly concerned about whether or not he has our permission to do it. Don't take my word for it. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. But word faith preachers, they'll say, and they've been, they've been, this has been brought to their attention, and, and some of them kind of skirt around and they say, well, that only means that God can do whatever he wants to do in heaven, not on earth. If he wants to do something on earth, then God must have our permission, like this from Andrew Womack. So, going back to Genesis chapter 1, I give you dominion. I give you authority. When he said that, he took himself out of control. God does not control what is happening on this earth. He gave control to us. So, God does not control what is happening on earth. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. Oops. Friends, God can do whatever he wants to do and is not losing a great deal of anthropomorphic sleep over whether or not he has our permission to do it. He does whatever he pleases. Watch this from Jesse Duplantis. 
conversations with each other. I've done that with the Lord. I've had the Lord say, uh, Jesse, I've had God come tell me, he said, this is what I'm going to do. I've had the Lord say, what do you think about this? God has asked me for my opinion. God asks Jesse Duplantis for his opinion? Do tell. Now, I don't want to take him out of context, so let's let Mr. Duplantis finish his thought here. I said, well, Lord, since you asked, maybe I'm doing it. He said, no, we can talk frankly. What do you think? I said, well, I don't think you ought to do that. He said, why you don't think I ought to do that? I said, well, you know, I know you know people more than I do, but you know, Lord, if you just let me, let me do a little bit more work on this individual, I think we can get them to you. He says, okay, go ahead. Do what you have to do. And I tell you what, the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. And he who thinks he can counsel God is a fool. <laughs> who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Well, I guess it was Jesse Duplantis. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I want us to look now quickly at what they teach about the person and work of Jesus Christ. If we can establish that they preach a different Jesus, we can establish that they do indeed preach a different gospel. Their Christology, the word faith in AR Christology, is a blend of these two heresies, Arianism and Adoptionism. Arianism was a heresy named after Arius, an early 4th century priest. Arius held that Jesus was a created being, not co-eternal a created being, and therefore this constituted an essential denial of the deity of Christ. Adoptionism is a related heresy, heresy of the late 2nd century, and held that Jesus was just a man, a man who had a very close walk with God but was not actually God, but God adopted Jesus as his son at his baptism. And word faith Christology is this weird blending of these two heresies of Arianism and adoptionism. Okay, um, just a few examples. Watch this from Perry Stone. Now, I want to tell you a very bizarre story that relates to something like this about heaven. And when, when Moses, who had been dead 1,500 years, appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses began to tell Jesus about his departure. It was his spirit which had been in paradise at that time under the earth and it was brought forth and all, you know, all, oh, this is going to get too complicated. I, I don't want to get into there because I'll lose you, okay? So let me, just, let me just stick to this thought. So Moses is telling Jesus about his death. So what does Moses know about Jesus' death? Because when Moses died, Jesus didn't even exist. Jesus didn't come into existence until 1,500 years later. When Moses died, Jesus didn't exist? He didn't come into existence until 1,500 years later? Wow. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, Father, John 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Dear friends, Jesus did not come into existence at Bethlehem. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. In fact, Jesus is the Creator. He is the one who created all things. That is blatant heresy. 
But this is the Jesus of the Word Faith Movement. Watch this from Kenneth Copeland. For the coming high priest of the heavenly holy of holies was hanging on that cross. And then he went to hell. He went before and stood in the heavenly courts of justice. A sin free born again man and God called him righteous. Kenneth Copeland teaches that Jesus, when he died on the cross, then he went to hell, suffered, tortured, died a spiritual death, ceased to be God and had to be reborn. That Jesus actually had to get saved. And Jesus stood before God the Father as a sin-free, born-again man. Born-again man. Blasphemy. Bill Johnson, speaking of Jesus... He performed miracles, and, miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, they would be unattainable for us. Jesus was just a man. Just a man who had, was in right relationship with God, but was not actually God in human flesh. And yet the Bible is very clear. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, this is oversimplified, but uh, I'm, I'm giving, trying to give you a cursory kind of a background, theological background to this movement and what they teach. Um, watch this from, let's see, I'm trying to choose my slides here for time's sake. Watch this from Larry Huck and Paula White. begin to understand that, that that when Jesus Christ paid the price the first thing that happened after he said it is finished is the veil was rent from top to bottom signifying that no man could do that but the price that was paid was there's now no separation so that we have direct access in the Holy of Holies we understand according to Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest Absolutely. and he's the first of many brethren which means I now come into a priestly anointing so I now can say that again Again, because I now, they don't get it. I now come into a priestly anointing. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a son of he's God. He's the first fruit. You're the, you're the, he's the first fruit. He's the firstborn of many. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. Can you believe that? <laughs> Flat out denying that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God? Have they read John 3.16? Friends, we're not talking here about minor theological differences on secondary points. We're not talking here about who you think wrote the book of Hebrews or when was the date of the Exodus, or whether you're pre-trib or mid-trib or something like that. These issues go to the heart of the gospel. What one believes about Jesus will determine where one spends eternity. Now I'm going to say something that may sound a bit odd at first, but bear with me. It's not enough 
to just believe in Jesus. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus. Mormons believe in Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus. Hey friends, Muslims believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in the right Jesus. They have a different Jesus. They have a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. You've got to believe in the right Jesus. You've got to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And you may as well be Mormon. You may as well be a, a Jehovah's Witness. You may as well be Muslim as be Word of Faith. Because the Jesus of the Word Faith New Apostolic Reformation Movement is just as much a different Jesus as is the Jesus of Islam. These are not minor differences. Watch this from Victoria Osteen, wife of Joel Osteen. Watch this. She's actually going to begin with, yeah, pretty good, but it's going to go, it's going to go south real fast. Watch this. In a human body. He was man. He was God made flesh. The Bible says he was tempted and tried in every way. Just like we are. But he overcame. See Jesus was man. Until God touched him. And put the spirit of the living God on the inside of him. And that's encouraging today. No that's heretical today. She said that Jesus was just a man until God touched him and put his spirit on the inside of him. That's, that's pure adoptionism. That's adoptionistic heresy. It's a different Jesus. It's a different Jesus. Now, I want to show you a video clip from a man you've probably not heard of. His, his name is Seth Dahl. Seth Dahl is on staff at Bethel Church, Redding, California. And this clip is going to begin with Bethel's logo and their little, you know, intro music. And I point that out for this reason. What you're about to see is not something that accidentally slipped past the editors. What you're about to see is not something that they wished wasn't out there. What you're about to see, they use in their advertising they use in their promotional materials. What you're about to see, they are proud of. Watch. I had a, I had a pastor say some things that hurt me really bad. Hurt me so bad, messed me up emotionally. Mentally, really messed me up. Nothing physical, nothing like that. A, a, a pastor I, I really respected said some words and hurt me so bad. And one time I was laying on the floor, actually it was in this room. I'm laying on the floor and in, an, in a vision, in an encounter with God, in a vision, Jesus picks me up and holds me so close that I can't see anything. And he holds me so close and Jesus starts to weep. And he says, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I said, what are you talking about? Please forgive you. He said, when that pastor hurt you, it's as if I hurt you. Because he's a member of my body. Please forgive me.
forgive me. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. The very notion that the second person of the triune God, the thrice holy Son of God, Jesus Christ, would come to a vile, sinful creature and ask that thing for forgiveness? Blasphemy. That is blasphemy in the highest sense of the word. I can't imagine anything that gets more blasphemous than that. And they're proud of this. They're using it in their advertising. Oh, but by all means, let's sing their music in our churches, shall we? Are you kidding me? Unreal. Just unreal. The, the very fact that that entire building did not implode and, <laughs> and kill every person in there is a testimony to the patience and forbearance of God. They preach a different Jesus. They preach a different gospel. Now, I want to I show you some clips of baptismal services at Bethel Church. And uh, I've, I've watched a number of these. So what's going to happen, their staff member is going to come up. They have, in this particular episode, they have about 30 or so baptismal candidates. And um, I'm not going to show you all of them. We don't have time for all of them. I'll, I'll show you a few highlights or lowlights, if you will. But the guy comes up to each person and he asks them two questions. What is your name? Why are you being baptized? Those are the questions. And each person a answers those, those two questions. And I've watched all 30-some-odd, 32 or 33 of these individuals. I took notes, and I can tell you that not one single person, not one of them, could muster even a vacation Bible school, I asked Jesus into my heart, kind of a testimony. But I, I want you to see a, a sampling of this. One of the great privileges being on stop here is that we get to baptize people. I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and then we're going to go ahead and begin to baptize people tonight. Well, two of those questions is one is your name, and the second one is why are you being baptized tonight? And so let's start with you. What, what was your name, and uh, why are you wanting to be baptized tonight? <laughs> My name's Michaela. <laughs> and, and, and why are you wanting to be baptized? Oh, it's Jesus is King. <laughs> I love him so much, and I'm a child of God. <laughs> come on, come on, give her a round of applause, amen. Okay, that woman is acting like she's intoxicated. Do you think that woman has any idea of the gravity of what it is she is ostensibly doing? No, absolutely not. And this is a reflection of the pulpit. It's a reflection of the pulpit. That was bad. It gets worse. And what you come for? What was your name? And tell us why you're being baptized tonight. My name is Camille, and I hope that tonight's baptism, excuse me, will cause some positive influences in my life, positive things in my life, future opportunities, and strengthen my relationship with God. Camille, that's amazing. Thank you. She hopes her baptism will cause some positive things in her life, some positive opportunities. 
She has absolutely no idea what baptism is. She has no idea what conversion is. She has no idea what the gospel is. They baptize all these folks. It gets worse. Watch this. Friend, why don't you come over and tell us your name and tell us why you're being baptized tonight. Hi, I'm Crystal. And <laughs> I just know that God is calling me to be a warrior for his animal kingdom and that I'm to lead angels of our, an army of angels to protect animals across the world. And I just know I can't do it without God. Come on, give Crystal a round of applause. That's amazing, sweet. Do what? <laughs> She's getting baptized because she thinks God wants her to be a warrior for the animal kingdom? Hakuna Matata. <laughs> this is unbelievable. They baptize these folks. I watched the service. Unbelievable. This is a reflection of the pulpit. This is a reflection of what is being taught from the pulpit. And as absurd as that is, we need to remember that these people, unless God sovereignly plucks them as a brand from the fire, these people will live their lives thinking they're a Christian because they've been baptized by this cult. And one day they will die and they will bust hell wide open. But they will think they're going to hell as a Christian. Because they got baptized. This, this movement, Bethel, Hillsong, they are leading millions of people straight into hell. And they're doing so in the name of Christ. But let's sing their music in our churches, shall we? I wanna, as we conclude, I want to look at some of the common objections that, that people will raise. When I, when I warn about Bethel and Hillsong, these are some of the more common objections. Well, but what about some of the hymns we sing? Because... Some of the hymns we sing, you know, they were written by men who did not um, finish well. And, and that is true. And one example that's often raised is the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul by Horatio Spafford. And indeed, I mean, It Is Well With My Soul, it's a beautiful hymn. We sing it. Um, but you look at the life of the guy who wrote it, and he didn't finish well. He, he apostatized. So how can you say we shouldn't be singing Bethlehem Hill song if we sing It Is Well With My Soul and a few other hymns that written by guys that just didn't finish well? Well, a couple of differences here. And the main one is this. Horatio Spafford is dead, has been dead for a long time. He does not have an ongoing ministry, as does Bethlehem Hill song. And he is not pulling people in to a theological cult like Bethlehem Hill song are doing. He's not doing that. Bethel and Hillsong are active, ongoing cults. And they use their music as a hook. 
They use their music as a hook to pull people in to their heretical theological system. And I've seen an interview with Bill Johnson, and I saw it a couple of years ago, and now I can't locate the video. If anybody, any of you happen to know where to find it, let me know. But Bill Johnson actually says of his music, we use this in our evangelism, and we use this to bring people into our tent. They are actively using their music as a hook to pull people in to their heretical theological system. Another objection is this. Well, we do business with companies that don't share our values, don't we? In fact, Sam Storms, who I mentioned last night, he is um, uh, someone who would be in our camp on soteriology, high view of the sovereignty of God, but he is a charismatic, and recently he wrote an article defending uh, churches who sing, Beth- sing Bethel and Hillsong songs in their, in their worship services. And one of his arguments was this. Well, how can you... He says... You know, one of the arguments, and he rightly says this, against singing it is that when we sing it, you know, we, if a church is doing what it's supposed to do according to the CCLI licensing agreements, when a church sings Bethel or Hillsong, Bethel or Hillsong get money. They get royalties from CCLI licensing agreement. And so we're funding cults. Please know when you sing Bethel or Hillsong music, you're funding a cult. And Sam Storm says, well, you, we don't make that argument for anything else because we do business with companies that don't share our values as Christians. Indeed, yeah, we do. But here's the difference. When I go to Home Depot or when I go to Chevron or when I buy Crest toothpaste, I don't expect those companies to uphold biblical values. They don't profess to be Christian. They're not. They are secular companies. So, yes, I can, I can do business with a secular company, even a company that, that doesn't, you know, maybe is even opposed. And quite frankly, most businesses are opposed to our values. But I can still do business with them because they don't claim to be Christians. Bethel and Hillsong do. Okay, lost people act like lost people. That's what lost people do. Bethel and Hillsong claim to be Christian. They claim to be churches. It's a massive, massive difference. Massive difference. Another objection. Well, in this, Sam Storms raised this as well in his article from, uh, I think it was in August, August 6th, he wrote it. And he said, well, Bethel and Hillsong have decent doctrinal statements. And you know what? Yeah, you can go to Bethel Church website or Hillsong, and you can find a very basic, very elemental, elemental, uh, elementary doctrinal statement. And you know what? It does pass a basic doctrinal smell test. But that doesn't matter. You know what? You can go to the, to the Mormon website or the Jehovah's Wit- Witnesses website, and the vast majority of those doctrinal statements we could sign off on too. It doesn't... Re- I mean, doctrinal statements are helpful... But you can't rely solely on a doctrinal statement. Most doctrinal statements from most churches are cut and paste. They're copied and pasted from other websites, and, and they don't even, they're not detailed. I want a detailed doctrinal statement. And there's a lot of churches who teach in direct opposition to their own doctrinal statements. Okay, you need to know that. There's a lot of churches that teach in direct opposition to their own doctrinal statements. They put it up there just to pass a basic doctrinal smell test. 
Another objection. But some of their songs have good lyrics. And you know what? Granted, some of them do. Some of their songs, you look at the lyrics and they're fine. They would pass a basic doctrinal smell test. Not all of them. A lot of them would not. A lot of their songs have a very romanticized view of Jesus. It's the Jesus is my boyfriend kind of a thing. And a lot of them are, they're just icky, honestly. They're, they're creepy. Uh, but some of their songs, yeah, they do pass a basic doctrinal smell test. So how do we answer this? Well, very easily. Let's suppose, I want to illustrate absurdity by being absurd for a second. Let's say that Planned Parenthood got together and they had a board meeting and they said, you know, we need to do something to raise some money, bring some more money into Planned Parenthood. We, of course, we're awash in federal taxpayer dollars, but that notwithstanding, let's raise some more money. I know how we can do it, says one board member. Let's write some Christian music. And granted, we don't believe anything that we're writing, but hey, let's write some Christian music and let's let the, the lyrics be good enough to where they would pass a basic Christian doctrinal smell test so that evangelical churches will sing that music in their services. Okay, let's do that. And so they get together and they write a bunch of songs. And sure enough, hey, the lyrics are okay, but it comes from Planned Parenthood. Let me ask you this. Sitting out in the pew on a Sunday morning, and they throw those lyrics up on the screen, and you look in the, in the fine print, it says, Music by Planned Parenthood. Would you object? You better believe you would, I would hope. Rightly so. <clears throat> Why is it any different with Bethel or Hillsong? Why is it any different? And friends, let's remember, Planned Parenthood is a vehement, as I oppose that 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 wretched organization, they're lost. They're lost. Lost people do what lost people do. So you would object to that, but not to singing a song by Bethel or Hillsong. That are, these cults are leading people to hell in the name of Christ. You're okay with that, but not with Planned Parenthood. Why? You're sending money to a cult. Let's say the lyrics were written by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Let's back off from Planned Parenthood just a little. Let's, let's say it was written by the Mormons. You look up there and you see the lyrics and then, hey, pretty good lyrics. Music by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Would you sing it? I dare say no. So you wouldn't sing a song by Mormons, but you will by Bethel or Hillsong. There is no excuse. God is spirit, and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. I cannot imagine a scenario in which if we could, if, if Jesus was literally standing here in front of us, and we could ask Jesus, Jesus, are you okay with us singing songs for the purpose of worshipping you, but the lyrics come from a cult? Are you okay with that? Can you imagine a scenario in which he would say, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. No, no. This is a massive lack of discernment. 